Hi everyone, thank you for joining us today. We hope you had a Merry Christmas and we hope that your new year will be happy as it begins on Friday. And so if I was to talk about the date July 20th, you know, you might think like, wow, that's a, that's a date that changed the world. I know it changed my world. I mean, I am greatly impacted by what happened on July 20th. In fact, I think it's safe to say that I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for what happened on July 20th. Now, you might be thinking of July 20th, 1969, but I'm thinking of something 19 years later on July 20th, 1988. You see, my wife was born on July 20th, 1988, but let's go back to July 20th, 1969. I've probably already embarrassed her enough. But on July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong was the first man to ever walk on the moon. And and we as humans, we've always been fascinated with science, or with outer space. Whether it be stars, planets, galaxies, we're just always fascinated and intrigued. And, and really, outer space and the space exploration has done a lot for advances in science and, and mathematics. And so, kind of with this idea of outer space, today I want us to talk about a star. A particular star that is in the Bible, and I'm sure you already know what star I'm talking about. Because last week, Austin introduced kind of this two-week series that we're doing on hope. And Austin did a phenomenal job last week, and I'm so thankful for him and, and just all the work that he does here at Lake Oma. And as we were talking kind of about what we were going to do for these two weeks, we knew that we wanted to talk about the birth of Christ because of the holidays. But we were like talking about it and we said, you know, it seems like so many people right now just need to hear this message of hope. I, I know there's been times this year that I've needed the message of hope and I, I still need the message of hope. And so this week we're going to talk a little bit about sharing hope, sharing hope with other people. And we're going to actually begin and really focus on Matthew chapter 2. And in Matthew chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 2, Jesus has actually already been born. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I used to always get all the stories and things, all the events around Jesus' birth confused because, I mean, we've got the, the Christmas cartoons, we've got Christmas pageants. I mean, Charlie Brown even did a Christmas story. And so there's all these different things. And then you've got Matthew's account, and you've got Luke's account, and, and they're written to two different audiences for two different purposes. And sometimes we can kind of blend the two stories together, and it kind of it just gets all confusing. So really, what I want us to do today is just focus on Matthew chapter 22. Focus on Matthew's account. And so let's begin in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at just verses 1 and 2 right now says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So let's look at this in a little greater detail. So we've got these Magi, and, and some translations say wise men, but they come from the east. Now this east is not um, you know, next street over, the next neighborhood, or even the next town over. This is this is the next, I mean, they come from a far way away. And so they come from a, another, another country, even. And so they are not Jews. They're not from Judea. And so they've come from the east. 
And some scholars think that magi could be really close to, to magicians. Like I said, some translations say wise men. And they talk about seeing the star, and so it's possible they were astrologists or they looked at the sky regularly. And so they would have noticed a very unique and different star, that they didn't just see the star on a whim and decide to go. They noticed that there was something different about it. And so they might have gone back to their scrolls, their texts, and, and analyzed it this way. But they come from the East and they do all these things that would have not been in the Jewish culture. It would have not been looking to the stars for, for guidance and, and coming from a different country, like we said, these, these are non-Jews. These would have been considered Gentiles. And so they recognize that this star is something special and they come to this baby because they recognize that this baby is special, that there's something unique. And they wanna do more than just look at this baby. They wanna worship him. And so then, then we come to the star, and, and there's no clear connection to, to the star or, or why the Magi saw this particular star and, and knew it was the king of the Jews. But the star does play a key role. I mean, it's clearly mentioned over and over, especially in later verses, that the star is important. And so the Magi come to Jerusalem and, and have an interaction with Herod, which we'll come back to that interaction in a second. But they go on their search towards Bethlehem to find the newborn king of the Jews. And so let's pick up. We're going to skip down to verse 9. Like I said, we'll come back to that, those other verses here in a sec. But verse 9, it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Again, they see the star and it leads them to Bethlehem and stops over the house where the child was. Now, probably the, the verse that we have that's closely or as close as possible connected to this star is found in Numbers chapter 24. Now, if you know your Bible very well, you know Numbers 24 is the story of Balaam and Balak. And, and Balaam, you may not know this, or if you know Balaam, you know the story of the talking donkey. So Balak brings Balaam over to, to basically pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. They've, the people of Israel have left Egypt and they're, they're on their way to the promised land. And Balaam is instructed by Balak to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. And, and Balaam basically says, I I'll try my best, but I can really only do what God tells me to say. And so let's pick up Numbers 24, verse 15. Then he spoke his message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Ser, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Balaam says a star will come out of Jacob. That, that's really our only mention of a star, of the star coming out of Jacob. 
But but look what it promises because this this is big stuff that it promises. It says a scepter. Well, you think who who uses a scepter? Well, a ruler or or a king uses a scepter. And so a king will rise out of Israel and and this this king will conquer the enemies of Israel. You know, this sounds like like a grand ruler, someone who's going to destroy all the enemies. I mean, this is a big thing for Israel that they are going to have a king that will have this mighty kingdom that will reign over all other kingdoms. We'll have authority over all kingdoms. Now, now we know the big picture. We know that it's not necessarily that Jesus doesn't bring an earthly kingdom, but but a, but a heavenly kingdom. But but think for a moment. If you were the people of Israel and you hear this, I mean, that's some great excitement, some anticipation for this king, this grand king that's going to come and rule over all other kingdoms. And now, and now this star appears. This star, which we talked about or looked at in verse 17, that a star will come out of Jacob. The star appears and shares this idea of a Messiah, a Savior, a King coming to Israel. And so the, the star shares hope with the Magi. The Magi think, oh, this, is, this has got to be a King. This has got to be someone great, someone who's going to have a great rule or reign and great authority. And so the star shares hope with the Magi about this Messiah and, and the Messiah or the Magi then go and share hope with the rest of Israel that their Messiah has come or is on his way. And so so let's let's go back now to that interaction with Herod because we're going to see a contrast between Herod and the Magi. Where the Magi were eager, excited it seems for this hope, Herod not so much. This is Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the, pro- what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Herod hears this idea that that there's a new king of the Jews and, and, and that's him. I mean, he is the king. Of the Jews, but now there's this new king on the block, and it and it seems like it's going to like this new king is going to take his place, and and Herod is threatened. He's threatened that that he's going to lose his power, his authority, his reign to someone else. Someone else is going to come and and take him out of the picture, and and he's threatened. It's, it says he's disturbed, and so he sends the magi on, on a scouting mission and and wants them to report back to him. But, but we know the rest of the story. We, we can see it in verses 13 through 18 that, that Herod issues an order that all male boys, or sorry, all male babies, uh, two years and younger, have to be murdered. And so the purpose is, is to eliminate the threat. Eliminate the threat to his reign. Herod never wanted to worship this, this new king like the Magi did. Instead, he wanted to eliminate it. And, and really, this creates an interesting setup for Jesus' ministry, for what Jesus' ministry will be like. 
Herod, I, I wouldn't say Herod is a practicing Jew, but, but in this story, he at least symbolizes or represents the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees want no, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They, they rejected, they did not want to worship Jesus or acknowledge that Jesus was going to be the king of the Jews. And so they rejected and, and they did eliminate Jesus. At least they thought they had eliminated Jesus through the cross. But contrast that to the Magi. These, these Magi, which we said, they, they're from the East. They, they are most likely have, are not Jews. They're Gentiles. They do not know Yahweh. They do not worship Yahweh. But they see the star and they recognize that there is something special about this baby. They, they recognize the new king and they, they come to worship him because they recognize what this king represents and they recognize what this king will bring. Maybe not completely, but they recognize that this king is special and worthy of worship, worthy of their praise. And so they, they see the hope that is now coming. Just, just as there was hope in the, in the coming of Jesus, we, we too can have hope through Jesus. Austin talked about this last week a little bit with this idea that, that Jesus bring, brings hope for us, that, that we have hope in our own lives through Jesus. And, and I, I want us to kind of start with this idea by looking at Romans chapter 5. This is a longer section, and so you won't, you won't see all of it on the screen, but you'll see parts of it. This is Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You, you know, I used to look at these verses, especially verses 3 and 4, and thought, well, that, that's by my power. Uh, you know, I, I have sufferings. I, I have perseverance. And so I, I now ha I have perseverance. So, so I now have character. And, and so then I, I have hope. And, and it's all about me. You know, it's me, my, I. But if we look at verses 9 through 11, it's all God. It, it's all through Jesus. It's because of Jesus reconciling me to God that I have hope. Okay, but the, then what, what do I do with it? Okay, so I've got this hope in God. I've got this hope that comes through Jesus, not by my own power. What, what's my role with this hope? Well, it all goes back to the Magi. And it really, it, I'd say it all goes back to the star. You know, we, the, star, the star didn't do much, really. It just it lit its light shine. 
but it pointed Gentiles to the Christ. It pointed people to that, or, or it pointed people to the one who brought hope. You know, we, we need to be the star in people's life. The, the star is a, is a great reminder at Christmas because it reminds us of the gift of Christ. But I think it also reminds us to be a star, to be a star that points people to the gift of Christ. You know, we, we don't point people to ourselves. As, as we saw in Romans 5, it's, it's not about me. It's not about my power or anything I've done. It's all about what God, what Christ has done for us. My job is to just to share the hope, to share that Jesus has come and then guide people to how they can find Jesus and worship him. You know, the star pointed the Magi to Jesus so that they could worship him. I'm supposed to be the star, the one pointing people to Jesus so that they can find hope and worship him. And what's great is, you know, the star pointed the Magi, and then the Magi really started pointing other people to Christ. And so the star shared hope with the Magi, and then the Magi shared hope with other people. It's kind of a domino effect, and that's kind of how it works in our lives, that, that we share hope with people, and then they share hope with other people, and it goes on and on and on. You know, G- Jesus brought hope to all people so that all people can share hope with others. So as we close today, I want us to look at two examples of how to share hope, or maybe things to keep in mind as we share hope. We're going to look at an example of someone who did not share hope very well and and someone who shared hope very well. Let's first look at how not to share hope. We're going to look at, at the story of Job. You know, Job was someone that was that was down in the dumps. I mean, he'd lost just about everything, and, and I, he really needed someone to share hope with him. And so we could look at a lot of things that his, his friends say. And I, I say friends because they really are not friendly to Job, but Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, they, they're trying to speak reason or logic into Job's situation and maybe try to offer some hope or encouragement. But let's look at Job chapter 11. This is Zophar speaking to Job. Zophar says in verse 1, Then Zophar the Namathite replied, Are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker, talking about Job, to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce others to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, My beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. (laughs) I mean, talk about hitting a guy when he's down. I mean, first, he claims Job has sinned when we know from chapter 1 that Job is upright and blameless. And, and he even says in verse 6 that God has even forgotten some of your sins, that you, you've sinned so much, Job, that God, you've sinned, it's too much to count. I mean, he's, he's speaking false right here, that he's not saying things that are true. And so he's, he clearly does not Job, know Job very well, I would say. Because if he knew Job, he would know that Job is 
upright, and blameless. But then he's saying things that, that Job does not need to hear right now. And so how, how do you not share hope with someone? You, not by speaking down or, or degrading who they are or, or insulting their character. Zophar was, was clearly trying to speak his logic into Job's situation when his logic did not fit Job's situation. He thought he knew the situation, but really he didn't know what he was talking about. And so let's look at how we are to share hope with people or things we might say to share hope with people. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. This is Mary, Mary when she's still pregnant with Jesus. She goes and visits Elizabeth, who's, who's pregnant with John the Baptist at the time. And, and place yourself in Mary's shoes for a moment. She's engaged to this man. And then she gets a message from an angel during the night saying that she's pregnant when she's a virgin. And this child she's pregnant with is going to be the son of God that's going to save the world. Now, how do you tell people that? I mean, today, if someone uh, claims that, that they are miraculously pregnant uh, and that an angel told them that they were going to give birth to the Son of God, we might kind of distance ourselves from that individual. And so I've got to imagine that Mary is kind of facing this dilemma and going through this a little bit and is extremely stressed about this situation and and might even be in a hopeless situation or feel at least at times maybe a little hopeless. And so Elizabeth comes and speaks, or sorry, Mary goes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth speaks to Mary. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Anyone ever been stressed or, or in a helpless situation and someone comes and offers just the right word at the right time to speak encouragement into your situation? I'm in contrast. Just think in your head the differences between Zophar, how he speaks to Job, and how Elizabeth speaks to Mary. I mean, it's, it's night and day, the encouragement that Elizabeth offers Mary. And so how, how do we share hope with people? We speak encouraging truth and then point them to God. We know this has been a difficult year for many, and we know it's been harder for some than others. But we want you to know that God is with you during this time. And, and we pray that you all find hope and peace during this holiday season. We love you very much. God bless.